play the music. Music comes in, me say something, <laughs> and Take go. One. go. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Vertical Playpen. I'm your host Phil, and in this episode I'm joined by four other members of the High Five team, Ryan McCormick and Louise Wagner, Rich Keegan and Jim Grout. And we're going to be discussing two topics. One of those is leadership, and the other one is a response to a question about COVID-19. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, please rate, review, subscribe, share, all of those things that helps us out and gets us uh, plenty more ears listening to these episodes. That's a silly way of saying that. Thank you for listening, and enjoy. Uh, So... The first question for us, for the group, is, and I'm going to put it here so that it sounds clearer in my voice, uh, what traits or behaviours do great leaders possess? And this is a question that got sent in by me. So, um, But what traits or behaviours do great leaders possess? We work in the leadership development realm, so um, and also in different spaces with training and working with youth and adults. So... What for each of us do traits and behaviours do a great, does does a great leader possess, and what do we try to impart on our students? Well, the one that always jumps out to me the most, and and there's many models for leadership and different characteristics, but the one that really uh, has stuck with me over the years has been the thought of a true uh, leader is uh, has a willingness and, a, and an understanding for service for others to help <clears throat> others in a goal that. Um, being a true leader that you have to be thinking about other people and that how you can serve the group that you're trying to lead in all sorts of different ways. To me, that's the, I think the crux of a lot of, a lot of really good leadership in a lot of different ways. I so appreciate this question. It's something that we talk about and ask our students regularly. And, um, Beforehand, we typically ask who sees themselves as a leader, mm. and some folks will raise their hand. And then the secondary question is like, who wants to be seen as a leader? And then there's, I, I don't know, it depends. Sometimes there's more hands raised, sometimes um, there's less in that sense. And then there's the like recognition of some people didn't raise their hands at all, and what keeps us from wanting to be leaders, uh, which is a completely different question. But mm. there is so much responsibility um, and in kind of thinking about as a young person taking on that role and being seen that way, there's a lot of pressure and challenge um, that is associated with that. Uh, In the list that students generate, I think there's a lot of uh, focus on the like tangible concrete action, which makes a lot of sense, but something that I think we teach all along in our work with folks is that importance around awareness. And that's like a foundational kind of component to leadership that um, there's a lot of action that's then taken based on that awareness, but without that understanding of kind of at the levels we talk about self, others, and the community, the collective. And so without that understanding, like Rich, you're saying the like importance of servants serving others, there's that sense of needing to even know the cause and effect and impacts on all those different realms before you can act. So that's something that I highlight is like one of those fundamental components that um, someone who's seeking to be a leader needs to make sure they keep at their forefront and be thinking about. 
I always love some of those letters that come in from alum, EOL alumni or whatever, and they'll, it, it's just that, that beginning of the, where they begin to feel like what that role might look like and feel like. So they've gone on, they're in college or they're in the workplace or whatever, and they're experiencing, I think, many of the traits that we've always admired, admired in leaders. They, there's a certain humility in, in their, the tone of their, their letters, and there's just letters saying, she said, this is what I'm, what I'm often doing and uh, how I'm encountering that. I've, I've always thought leaders too, like they're not, the ones that want to be leaders probably shouldn't be. And the ones that don't probably are the best uh, only because I think it's, it, it's, it has nothing to do with power and control. It has to do with uh, being present and as rich as you were saying. So how are you there for people? You know, what is the, we talk so much about self, others, and collective, and you, I think leaders have to live in the others and collective world, uh, and and it takes time, you know, for that to. So the, when those young people write in, it's sort of the beginnings they've experienced it here, and they're beginning to experience it in their lives in different ways, and it seems like an, an exciting evolution. Yeah, I think there's the title of being a leader, like by your role and responsibility. And I think that's what's as Anne Louise was talking is mostly what's overwhelming for people. Is, mm. Do I have what it takes? Do I know the answers? What will happen when I'm wrong? I think we try to switch that to think about like leadership thinking. Folks have mentioned the self-others collective piece, and that's when we look at making decisions. Do we consider my like what's good for me, what's good for others, and then what's good for the community or the collective piece? Um, and that's where I start to point out in folks that I'm seeing from them the actions and words of a leader is when I can I can see that they're considering and weighing what's important to all of us uh, and finding that balance in terms of making decisions. Uh, yeah. So it's like little, little steps in. It's not like, okay, when we ask that question about leadership, you always have to be that. It's like move away from the title and think about the actions and what are you doing in the right moment at the right time where you can be recognized and say, wow, that was really what the group needed. That's what I needed. That's what others needed. So. It's more about leadership thinking. Hmm. Owning the responsibility. Embrace this responsibility in whatever shape or form it takes. And look at what people are doing now with all this going on in the world. What leadership looks like and doesn't look like. It's a vast chasm at times. And, And I think, Jim, what's interesting is so much of our roles have changed. And so for for folks whatever leadership looks like in your day-to-day, whatever that leadership looks like. To- Jim. <laughs> you made it loud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can start from the beginning now. Yeah, exactly. And do a pickup. <laughs> do that. I don't know. Maybe I'll unplug this thing in a second. <laughs> uh, Just cut the line. Yeah, no, I'm going to unplug it. Gnaw on it. Okay. <laughs> Good. I think in terms of our leadership for, for a lot of us, that's completely changed right now. And it's, I know that I'm having conversations with people within high five and in other places of how do I continue to lead um, in this new environment when we're distanced and we're at home and we're trying to do projects still. And um, it can be a lot more challenging because some of the go-to tools that we're used to and make us comfortable around leadership are, are different. We're not there or there's new ones. So there's a lot of, think leadership right now is is about adapting um, and being patient with that with yourself 
and with with others to figure out these new systems and uh, in place of how we're going to lead. Yeah, I I always value when I look upon a leader, it's like someone who has some vulnerability around and doesn't feel like they know it all and doesn't need to know it all and can just own Mm -hmm. that vulnerability. I think that's that difference in the actual behavior of a leader and then the title of a leader. Sometimes like the impression of the the leader is like they know it all and that can come across like very – you're just full of themselves or, you know, a certain behavior, they're like, yeah, it just turns you away when you're like, this person feels like they have to be the right all the time. So I always enjoy the vulnerability. And I think we've been forced into, because of the times, into constant vulnerability. And then that also demonstrates strong leaders because that's, you know, you're pushed into, forced into having to demonstrate leadership behavior even if you didn't want to in the moment because the time is requiring of us um and so you start to see if people can be vulnerable and truly vulnerable in front of their peers or not and i i've enjoyed you know seeing leaders in in my uh sphere demonstrate honest authentic vulnerability in this time which makes us all feel good because <laughs> we can all be more open to being vulnerable when our leaders demonstrate it yeah, I've always appreciated whether that be uh, a leader in my life or even a physician or, or somebody else that's in a position as a, being an expert or a leader to when they say, I don't know, but we'll figure this out and, and being okay with not having that exact answer right now. And for me to hear that is for me has always been kind of reassuring. That's like, okay, now we don't all have the answers all the time and uh, true leaders can can say that and then we'll figure it out together in one way or another. It's always been really appreciated. How do, how do people in this, in this group um, teach those uh, behaviors or try to reinforce those things? We've got awareness, service, vulnerability, self others collective. What are the methods by which we can try to reinforce those behaviors in others? Modeling. Yeah. I, I think being a role model, that's like hmm. starting with our programming in fifth grade. <clears throat> It's do we see ourselves as a role model? And we are. We just might not be aware of it. But I think modeling, like folks are saying, being vulnerable. I've said to my team, like, I'm not sure what to do right now in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And we've built a, a, a culture within our team and within High Five that, that honors that. Says, okay, how can we support you? Let's figure this out together. But yeah, I think it's, it's being the example, which is like the connect and power lead, Mm. be the example. It always seems like it has nothing to do with the words. You know, and I found myself in these weeks, obviously trying to craft the right words that go out when we send things to the, to staff and board directors and things like that, board of advisors. But in the end, it is all, it's the modeling. It's like, what, what are you doing? Not what are you saying? You know, the, the words are always cheap. And they don't mean anything, but they do mean a lot when all of a sudden the actions follow the words and those actions follow the, the missions and the philosophies and what, what you, they're just consistent, they're consistent over time. I think that then they stand sort of the, the test of time because that's what's always been there. Those actions stay the same. I think I agree first and foremost, it's like challenging yourself in that same way in order to step up and be a leader um, in, in all those ways that we described, that means being vulnerable by taking risks um, and having that recognition and awareness of other people. Um, I think the only thing that I would add to 
um, as kind of like maybe a secondary component is giving people the opportunity in order to step up as leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think about specifically with in the EOL summer program that we run, there are so many times where I'm role modeling, hopefully, by turning over and giving the reins metaphorically to the participants and allowing them in order to step up as leaders and try that on and also grapple with what who they are and what that looks like in really challenging situations. And so, um, yeah, I think there's a sense of like that, that role modeling and stepping back in order to give other people the opportunity to explore taking on those responsibilities. Yeah, I think there's like a, a huge component that leaders need coaches and mentors and support. And I think that's, that's what we try to do within that program. So our modeling is stepping back. It, it always comes back to people a, a little nervous and apprehensive about it, but then really appreciating like, wow, you really just let me work through that. Um, because it's in leadership, it's about skills and skills are about practice and, and getting competencies in those areas. So it can be hard sometimes to sort of watch because it's messy because anything that's new right, requires a little time and practice before you start to build proficiency. So. I had a, pa- a question from a parent, um, from a, a parent of a junior when we were, uh, had that unit in uh, leadership was, how do I get my son or daughter to step up more? Um, and I think you've hit on it and high five does in EOL is being able to, as a parent or a coach, is to be able to step back and create those opportunities. And then, well, what kind of opportunities can I create for them? It's them choosing what they feel passionate about for them, uh, giving them an opportunity um, in just looking for those things that they're passionate about or feel comfortable leading um, or doing. And I think that's a good example of what you've shown in edge of leadership for years about stepping back and letting them, the students move forward on what they want to, they're interested or what maybe even they're passionate about. I think it's almost like a redefining of the word leader from a, just a social expectation of what that word means. Like if you said it to someone in the street, they have this impression that is formed in the brain of like a pyramid and the person standing on the top issuing right. all the orders to the people below them. And I think that what we do, and I was thinking about it in new, almost everything that we do, and I think that's that word empowerment, is the giving, handing the reins over to others and then role modeling that we're not the sage on the stage or the only voice in the room telling everyone what it is that it's a shared experience where people are all somewhat equal but jumping into different positions and and stepping back when necessary i think that's what i've referred to i think to in the training in a beyond basics that's i think uh lisa referenced once before that she brought up in a group the idea of our rescue trainings being we're teaching so many components and then we give them we give them all these tiny skills and then we say to put it into practice and people are sometimes shocked that even that is a method of like, oh, you don't just show them how to do it, the end. Like, you give them all the pieces, and then they put it together. So I think in our Beyond Basics, I think what's powerful about our experiential learning model when we teach it is that people are experiencing, we're giving them a, a problem and letting them try to solve it with the skills that possibly we've taught them or haven't yet taught them and see if they can come up with them and then slowly wean them into the in, fo- focus them in a direction that gives them the answer but ultimately they feel more the whole experience is more powerful because they were able to 
create the experience for themselves of the learning. And it wasn't me just telling you this is the way to do something because they don't have that emotional connection to the discovery when I just give them an answer. So I think that it sort of fits around a lot of the stuff that we do consistently. And even like when people want to come down from a climb, do you want to come down? Sure. Let's bring you down. Like constantly in these moments of empowerment where we're not telling people what to do, we're letting them make their own decisions and role modeling that behavior. I think that's a key, key facilitation tool that we use is asking questions of people. Like when you say, come down at the end of the day, I can hear myself saying, okay, you can do that. But at the end of the day, when you get back on that bus, are you going to be regretful or, you know, wish that you had done this? Just answer that one question. It's like, yeah, I'm going to wish I did that. Okay. So then we can move. Can you see yourself getting to the next place? Can you, you're sort of asking questions, not saying like, just get to the next staple or just get up onto the cable. Mm. It's like, how far can you go now? (laughs) Right. Check back in. Do you want to keep going? What's the drive inside? Because I've had students sort of go through the, the, uh, an element and everybody's being that supportive person that they think they should be around. Like, just do this, just do that. Imagine this at the end. And then when that student gets down, they feel a little bit more defeated that they weren't able to advocate that. I, I just wasn't ready for that. I wanted to come down, yeah. which is powerful for the group, but uh, it, it's, it's always been a consideration as I've seen that throughout the years to say, look, well, what is it that you really, what do you want to do? It's the self-talk. And then now others can hear that and support you in the way that you want. And then collectively, there's more good things happening. I always like that, that evolution of thought, Phil, you just mentioned in the BB in the managing adventure program, which, which is, you know, so theoretically the people who come to that are the leader of their, mm. their challenge course program, their adventure ed program and the evolution of, and you've all experienced some of that where we give them a sort of an oddball practice or activity or something to do. And then they have to plot where that fits into the, you know, spheres of acceptable practices and is what we call it. And it's fascinating. There's about six or seven of those. And from the first one, which is they struggle, struggle, struggle. And then eventually, much like the BB, they're creating the answers. You know, you could give them any situation and they'll be able to figure it out because they're, it's almost like the ABCDE piece with the, with the kids at school. But they, they have a methodology that helps them assert their, their leadership, which is a figuring it out mm. kind of leadership and, and admitting, oh, well, this is challenging. I'll help this sleep. How am I going to apply my best thoughts to this? And when you put that into a bigger realm of them being in a leadership role in general with an entire program, you know, you could, you could never prepare them for every scenario they'd be faced with, but you can prepare them with a, with a, a, a train, train, train of thought that can begin, begin to be applied, which you know, ultimately is the only kind of education and probably leadership that anybody ever really needs or wants. Mm-hmm. We're in a time now where, um, people are being asked to step up in different ways and, and, um, dependent on the situation, I think the conversation and letting them figure things out are, are really important as we as leaders do that. But there are other situations where it's kind of like, um, Hey, this is where, how I see the problem on the leader and we need to move forward. And I, I usually think that's in more of times of real stress or having to do with uh, physical safety, emotional safety, or organizational safety, where that gets to a point where I'm, my viewpoint has always been we can share our thoughts and listen but and share those with that particular leader. But then as that person in that leadership role, 
it's their time to step up and make that decision with the help of the rest of the group. And then let's move on and move together with this, which is hard to do. I think even, even at high five, I mean, if we've, you all heard it the other day, we were, I think it's getting more directive in some yeah. ways. So you can't be afraid of doing that to say, if, if you were out on a hike or climbing a rock face or something and, and, and the weather's coming bad and, and people are, it's going to be very threatening. You just need people like, okay, here's what I need you to do. And I, I, we had even talked about that in the director's meeting the other day or the vision committee meeting, just saying, let's not be afraid to give people, you, you almost help people uh, ease some of the anxiety and stress by saying, okay, here's what you need to do. You know, you do this, you do that. I always find staying up many hours in the middle of the night is helpful as well, but then you, <laughs> but, but I think it, it calls for both. So the discovery method has its place situationally, as you yes. I think that was the essence of your question, Rich. And then, yeah. but it doesn't preclude any more than sequencing activities. You know, you say, yeah, there's a perfectly logical sequence, but you know, all of us at times have probably broken the sequence of what we we're going to do with a group because it wasn't going to work. We needed to go to a whole other place to make it happen. And I think that applies to, to how you use leadership in various ways. This might not make uh, the podcast, but it, it, um, I don't always thought of, I've done a lot of dog training because I've had dogs for many years. And I've always thought what a great way to teach leadership through um, being able to train different dogs because they, they respond immediately to feedback. They need direction, and if they don't get the direction, you're confusing them more. And I always love that analogy of a trainer I work with. He was like, hey, Rich, you know, just kind of keep in mind that sometimes the dog is training you more than you're training the dog. And it, it's, uh, but it, it, it would be, they're great metaphors with that. So I don't know. If, isn't there a book? Jim, can we bring up some dogs? <laughs> but no. Rich, isn't yeah. there a book about dog training that you suggested to me at one point? Oh, yeah. I reference it all the time. I got it from a, uh, believe it or not, it was an AEE international conference. The name of the book is uh, Don't Shoot the Dog. And it's, I think it's written by Karen Pryor, but it's all, all about the positives of dog training and positive reinforcement and, and all those concepts of being able to step up for the dog to give that dog direction that they need but also find ways to reward them and always look for the positive things that uh, people do and animals do. So if you're upset with the dog, don't shoot the dog. It's probably something that you did first. So they're great analogies with that metaphors. And then the last thing I would say is like, based on this, I think that ties in is the sweep and the shed thing. I think that's the, the mindset around um, that no one's too big to do the little things that need to be done. And I've liked that phrasing when I refer to different people in leadership positions. And I found that those people who aren't willing to do those little things, um, you know, I just have that immediate like instinct of, of like, oh, I don't know if they're the greatest leaders because they're just not willing to step up and do you know, jump into different positions, step back from being the upfront and being willing to, in our case, sweep sheds. But in terms of the analogy of doing small things, I remember one person I worked for at one point, and I think I've referenced it, this person before, but once wrote down a list, this is when I was working in the camping world, wrote down a list of trash that they'd seen and then handed it to us at the end of the day and said, go and pick up that trash. Well, he'd walked past all the trash in the process of seeing that because he'd, Draw down all its locations, 
he could have just picked them up and said, hey, by the way, there was all this trash. If I picked it up, I think that would have had a different message to the group than, okay, it's five o'clock. Now you need to all go out and pick up all the trash I saw you didn't pick up. So d- different ways of looking at uh, seeing those little things that need to be done. Everybody should clean a toilet periodically. That used to be an interview question say, in the early yeah. years by five, <laughs> just to get people's reactions and how they'd respond to it. It was interesting. It was telling you know, would you ever be willing to clean a toilet or a small place? Once in a while, we all just have to do what needs to be done. That was always the example. So, Got to have that toilet brush ready to go, Jim. <laughs> We've got one in our in our bathroom at <laughs> I-5. It's just ready right there. So, so we've touched on touched on a lot of different uh, traits, behaviors, possible thematic stuff that you know good leaders have: the awareness, the service, the role modeling, vulnerability, sweeping the sheds, um, asking questions, being the example. This now we're going to tie this into um, the next question, which is based on the current challenges that the world is facing. With all of those components in mind, and with us being referred to as leaders in our field, and um, I think we are that. What are we going to do as facilitators once the COVID-19 challenge diminishes to get groups in the same physical space again? And this is in parameters, it says, touching, supporting, belay teams, and dialoguing. This is a question that was submitted to us by one of our listeners. I, I, I think that, yeah, I think that vulnerability, what we referred to before, has to, is going to be very present in the stuff that I'm doing. Like I did a, um, a webinar for, um, ACA. They did their New England conference, um, virtually. And it's, and at first they asked me if I wanted to take my workshops and make them virtual. And my instinct was no, only because of my discomfort. Um, and then I realized that, you know, it's, it was early enough close by. It was like, all right, we, you know, we've got to, I've got to try. I've got to stretch myself a little bit. And I did it and it, I, I found it uncomfortable. There was less initial feedback. I couldn't hear responses. I couldn't see people's faces to see how they were reacting. Um, but I think I was honest at the start and was just owning, you know, our, my vulnerability around this and that it was new. And I think it was well received because I wasn't trying to be something I wasn't. In terms of, I know it all, and I'm like, this is going to be easy. This is fine. I was just like, this is hard. So bear with me. And I think that it was okay at, at that early stage because we were newer into this world. It was a few weeks back. Um, but, it, you know, I I think that us owning vulnerability around it, I know that the training team is talking about trying to create a workshop or having some hybridity to, I don't know if that's a word, uh, to um, our open enrollments around doing, you know, social connection, but physically distant in terms of trying to think of stuff that we could do that maybe people are six feet apart so that there's a, a, a blending or a in-between that we're not just assuming that we're going to go immediately back to everyone holding hands and high-fiving again, that we have to have some in-between, but wanted to capture the essence of still being physically in the same space. It, it's it's going to be challenging to try to come up with that. But think that there's also uh, a tendency to go to absolutes and say that we're never going to do this again, or this won't look like that. Or we go to creating policies um, that are hard to change. 
so I, I think it's more about what's the the feeling and the emotion behind some of this, and it's probably some fear, some loss, so some real emotions, and that that's where a lot of this comes from. So I would just caution folks to really think about it from that, and how do we have that conversation and dialogue about people's experiences as we start to socialize again, um, and not jump to oh, I, you know, I've been in the school systems long enough to know when the cold, the flu goes around. There's all this. Uh, this policy, and I don't mean to pick fun of that. It's, it's important and it keeps people safe, but there's not conversation around what it's like. It's sort of just left to like, well, here it is. We don't touch. But what is that like when all of a sudden we change those things or our world changes in terms of how we show affection or connect with people? So I, I would hope that we have a conversation about what this looks like for each group within each group, the organizations, and not sort of respond to like, we can never do this again. Mm-hmm. Touching is now off hit, uh, is off the table. Um, because it, one, it, it, it just, that's not, I don't think that's a, a great idea to begin with, but, but two, it doesn't address the real issues, which is how people are sort of feeling about this and, um, what this change could, could feel like in terms of loss. Um, and then how do we be creative about redefining some of that loss culture in a way that feels sort of human? just want to highlight that we in this discussion we don't have the answers or at least we don't have like this is the way that this is the voice of high five speaking and this is what you must do this is purely five people discussing a topic that is on everyone's minds at the moment but um yeah i think i appreciated this question and the ways that it invited me to think um one of the pieces that came to mind um, when we think about the challenge course a lot, there's like the perceived risk and actual risk. And regardless of if it's perceived or actual, um, there's a lot of shifts based on this experience that we're going through that creates that sense of risk. And just like we validate perceive and actual risk in the same way, like I, we would fully validate the emotions and the reactions that kind of emerged from this experience that we're going through. Um, So there's like that piece and recognizing that a lot of people come into our work, whether it's on the challenge course or in a classroom setting, whatever it might be already with a sense of like uneasiness and challenge. There's like the unknown of what are we going to play? What are we going to do? And so I hope that we can take the same skills that we use in those spaces with people kind of feeling uncomfortable and grappling with the unknown to do the same thing just with this current context. Um, The other piece, and Ryan, I appreciate what you highlighted. It kind of came to mind for me as well is that like uh, this, like it's not, I keep saying the word, this experience, this context, but like it's, it's a crisis. Like it's not, uh, some people have been talking about like, oh, it's like a retreat. And it's like, no, like mm-hmm. there is so much pain and trauma and hurt mm-hmm. like happening. And I, just recognizing that too, that there's going to be a lot of implications and um, uh, just like challenges and troubles that people are grappling with related specifically to the virus. But then there's so many other ways that this is disrupting people's lives or exposing things that are just not not there to be supportive in the ways that they need to be in our society. And so I think there's multiple ways that we need to recognize the impact um, that there's, of course, the kind of physical piece and the 
um, hesitancy of being in close proximity with others. But there's a lot of other implications that I think I either get overwhelmed when I start thinking about or just haven't even been able to consider all the impacts that are out there. I think too, and this is more of an organizational thought, but after 20 years of I-5, I have great confidence in the way we have, we have such a uh, tradition of not over or under reacting to whatever the, the thing is. It could be standards that come our way from ACCT or, or wherever, and we try to study them. And then we, we, then we make decisions about what we need in, to do and when we need to do it. And I, I think that played out like in, in that expression real time very rapidly when we moved from the, the week of uh, on a Monday thinking we were having our symposium on a Saturday. And then on that Wednesday, we decided, uh, nope, we're not going to, we're going to postpone the symposium. We had no idea at that point that we were going to close the offices and ask people to work from home that very Friday. So in the span of a very short period of time, I, I think, again, we were at our best at sort of reading the landscape. In that case, I think making a very proactive decision in terms of the office but, you know, and this is, again, sort of been an extreme example where, where things are evolving literally, you know, hour by hour and day by day. But if you go back over the way we've done stuff uh, for all of our years, I think it, I trust the thoughtfulness of it as, as I would trust the way we would, as you say, Phil, we don't really have the answers to this. But I am certain that we wouldn't say, you know, nobody, nobody goes near each other. Nobody, everybody's, you know, we impose all these rules that we wouldn't typically impose. Uh, and I think for people coming to us, we would honor what they want and need, but we also would put it back on them to say, well, it really has to be comfortable. And if it can't be, might, it might not be the time for you to, to do that because you couldn't have every participant sort of dictating what they want and need and really ever meet any of those needs. Um, but I, I, I think we're going to do it the right way, whatever the right way is. And I think the key, the part that I... I <laughs> I look at the part in the question that says, what are we going to do as facilitators in that the word means to make easy. So, or, you know, as a facilitator, I think that we're good at reading our groups and working with the clients and meeting the needs. And we've consistently done that where several different things have appeared, you know, in programming that we've had to be adaptable to and, and meet the needs of the group. And I think that, I think, yeah, I, w I would hope and I'm, I'm pretty sure that we would meet that need on a case-by-case -case basis rather than having this policy-driven that we're not going to be able to touch or, you know, no more spotting as an example or something like, you know, it would, it would feel extreme that we're going to be able to nuance between all those different groups. I think it's also going to change dependent on what the role our roles might be i think like um you know our building team our inspection team they might be have different parameters than we might about protective gear that they might have to wear or and i think that as well what i i, I get optimistic about is it might change behaviors in terms of how stuff gets used in the positive and i think about it in terms of uh, gear management and storage of gear you know, I go to trainings and I see very, very poor storage and very poor um, protection of their own gear. And I'm constantly trying to reinforce the importance of in 
maintaining gear, ropes and harnesses, helmets, that this might be able to enforce or uh, re- encourage that behavior a little bit more strongly because we were thinking about it in a different lens. Like this is gear that people have to place on their bodies. So we must maintain it in a better way. We must clean it or disinfect as necessary or those different factors about it. I think that there might be, you know, positive outcomes from this whole thing about the, our own uh, self-care and the care of others um, through this. But I think that uh, leads into the gear there and, and the way that people use their elements that we might be more intentional about stuff too. So I see it in positives. Uh, I guess the the one piece that I was going to add um, that as people have been sharing has um, allowed me to keep thinking about is like this um, – crisis that we've been going through like really highlights the level of um, interconnectedness that we all have and that's like in the good and the bad in the sense of like transmitting a virus that somebody might not know that they have to somebody else or buying a lot of resources at the store all at once so that there's not enough to go around for everybody in that community. And then there's like also so many examples that I'm grateful to be aware of even locally here in Brattleboro where High Five is around um, people, that interconnection happening in a really positive and beautiful way of people supporting each other and sharing what they have excess of and taking care of one another, spend dedicating time in order to support others. And so I think as we think about shifting out of this, I hope that like in that same spirit of like that there can be a, a, a like stronger version of kind of that sense of community within groups and recognizing that how if like our actions, it's so highlighted how an individual's actions can play out and have a bigger role and how do we use that in a positive way when we're starting to re-engage in being closer proximity and connected with people. Um, in person, in communities. I just think there's a chance to um, really sit with that value and um, hold that as something really important as we're coming back together. At a later note, I had a chuckle the other day to myself. Of course, I'm chuckled to myself because like you, I'm working by myself <laughs> every day in reading that question. And I thought of the... Uh, the activity, I don't even know if people play it anymore, but for years it was called Don't Touch Me. You know, people oh, were in a yeah. big circle and you would try to pass yeah. through the circle and literally not try to have any contact. And you'd sometimes you'd be running and turn sideways. But I thought, well, that really won't fill five days. So we'll have to <laughs> keep working it. But, uh, and I don't mean that irreverent of the of what we're living through and the, the, the horror of it all. But it was a, a comic moment on my own that I'm sharing that if it shouldn't be in this podcast, <laughs> no. we'll cut it out. Yeah. But I think, Oh, it's staying in. <laughs> it's staying in. <laughs> I think we are going to find ourselves in very innovative positions consistently as well. Like it's exciting as we've been, you know, all of the teams at the moment being innovative around the way that we're going to be able to deliver the work that we do. Um, and there, there could be hybrids to, you know, we hopefully get back to a space where we can all be in the same space again. And, and then in those, but I don't think some of those lessons that we've learned through this, even in the technology stuff that we've learned can't be helpful towards the work we do when we're in the, in the larger space, you know, uh, uh, the training team were playing around with uh, Flipgrid, And I know that, and Louise, you've played around with it too. It sounds like a really interesting tool to be able to use in our, 
workshops just as giving people some pre-work before they come or you know i think that it can we can we'll we'll find ways to be taking some of the information and the education that we're gaining from this and tie it into our work and so that we're not just saying this is a time that we're ignoring like erase this moment of time from our minds we're back to normal but that we're in a new normal and everything that we've kind of learned here this sort of goes with what Anne louise was saying all the great learnings that we've had in the communities and stuff will tie in really nicely to the work that we do anyway and will only make our work stronger and better um so i think that there's a lot of you know yes we're in a in a period of crisis but i think the positive stuff that we could possibly glean from it will uh, benefit the work that we do in the future i have no doubts that we will continue to ignite the human spirit the way we always have you know we will perhaps find new ways in which to do that but when you look at what we say we're doing in the next 10 years we've always done that we'll continue to do it and when you and it's always successful however whichever way you do it if truly that is the goal that was a great close. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere else to go there. Um, <laughs> awesome. It was just a thought. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you, everyone, for being on the call and talking about leadership and uh, the challenges that we face in this time. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>